Hi everyone, Lessons and Lattes. I'm excited to be here with the author of the Fairy Tale Reform series, among other things, but that's the one I'm most excited about, so I get to put my bias um, in. Miss Jen, would you like to go ahead and introduce yourself? Hi, how are you? I'm Jen Kalanita. I write the Fairy Tale Reform School series. The latest book is Cursed, which just came out. And there's a companion series called Royal Academy Rebels. And it's uh, two schools, uh, picture it in the same town, so to speak. One is a school for rebellious royals who want to change the way their kingdom works. And one is for kids who are kind of on the path to wickedness, but learning how to behave. And I also do some books for Disney, which are also fairy tale related, but in the Disney universe. So I've done Frozen, Conceal Don't Feel as part of the Twisted Tale series, and Mira Mira, which is a twist on Snow White as part of the Twisted Tale series. So I have to ask, why the focus on fairy tales? You know, it's so funny because a lot of people ask me that. And the truth is, the first 14 books I wrote were all set in the real world, and they were contemporary issues for contemporary kids and teenagers. My first series was actually called Secrets of My Hollywood Life, and it was about a girl growing up in Hollywood, never quite sure if she liked working in Hollywood or it's just what her mother had done when she was a kid, and she always did. And, and then I wrote about sleepaway camp and some girls growing up in the South and about a girl um, whose mom gets a job with her favorite boy band and takes her on the road with them. And so I had always done this real world thing. And then a few years back, when I was trying to think of what would be fun to do next, my boys were elementary school age, and they were asking me if I could do a story that was a bit more exciting, that had some really strong male characters and fun female characters and possibly had pirates and dragons and sword fights. And I thought, well, what would have all those things? And I thought fairy tales. And being a huge Disney lover, um, my mom only really let me watch like the Disney version of fairy tales. She didn't like anything too dark. But being a big Disney lover, I always felt myself drawn towards Cinderella, but not for the reason most people are drawn to Cinderella. I always hated that at the end of the story, we didn't know what happened to the wicked stepmother in the Disney version. Oh, interesting. I, I thought, you know, I thought maybe she went to fairy tale jail, or if she went to fairy tale jail, no one could raise the wicked stepsisters and they would grow up and become villains. And that really stressed me out. And so I, I started to wonder if the wicked stepmother apologized to Cinderella and Cinderella forgave her, how could she prove she was now trusted in the fairy tale world? And I thought possibly she would open up a reform school for kids on the path to being wicked, much like herself who she wants to help become good. And so the whole story kind of spiraled from there. And then in my um, author bio, it actually says in the author bio for the Fairy Story Reform School series, it says, Jen would like to kick Cinderella out of the castle at Walt Disney World and move in. And somebody at Disney saw it and thought, well, she likes to write fairy tales. She obviously likes Disney. Maybe she'd also like to work on some of our Disney stories. And so now I've been doing a lot of fairy tales lately. And I absolutely love it. But, um, you know, I do have other interests, too. <laughs> so if you could branch away from the fairy tale, what would um, those interests look like? 
So I have a book coming out this December with Delacorte Press with Random House Kids, and it's called The Retake. And it's about a girl named Zoe. She's in middle school, and she gets to the first day of school, and her best friend has just kind of dropped her for a new group of friends, and she's devastated. And she gets, she takes her phone out in school. She gets her phone taken away. When she gets the phone back from the principal, there is a new app on it. It has no name. It's bright pink. It has all of her pictures in it from social media. Mm-hmm. And there's a backward arrow on the pictures. And if she clicks on the backward arrow, it takes her back in time to those moments from social media. So she, of course, uses this app to try to go back and fix her friendship with her best friend. But of course, We've all seen time travel movies. Time travel never goes the way you want it to. No, it doesn't. (laughs) (laughs) So that's called The Retake, and that comes out in December. Exciting. I hope – I know you just released a book, but I hope that kind of our climate is a little bit better. I couldn't imagine what that release was like. Um, I'm sure a little bit strange, but um, I hope that it did well. Yeah, you know what? What was really funny is I, I think, you know, a lot of authors have been in this boat lately and, you know, people were really worried and thought, well, you know, should I beg to have my book moved? Um, what what does this really mm-hmm. mean for my book? How do I make sure my book is, you know, out there and kids know about it when I can't leave my house? Because, you know, I had tour dates scheduled and uh, mm-hmm. book festivals mm-hmm. to be at and all of that, you know, was canceled. School School visits were canceled. So I, I feel like I, I went online mm-hmm. and I started doing more contests and giveaways. I started doing writing prompts for kids on Facebook. I did baking and books like Ooh. two weeks ago, the day the book came out. And it was, you know, we baked a recipe that was inspired by the fairy tale reform school books. And it was so popular and such a hit with the uh, bookstores I teamed up with, which were all over the East Coast, Mm -hmm. that we're doing another round of baking and books in two weeks that is going to be frozen themed. Mm -hmm. And so I was pleasantly surprised when I, you know, saw how the book was doing the first week. Again, it's only the first week, but I was pleasantly surprised that, you know, from doing all these virtual things, from doing some virtual school visits, maybe, hopefully, uh, you know, readers found the series and thought, well, let's see what the next book is about. So I I think kids, you know, just like adults, need an escape. And I mm-hmm. think books are the perfect escape right now. And it's so fun to get wrapped up in another world. And fairy tales are very familiar to kids. Yes. You know, we all have our own experiences with the fairy tales we like, we don't like, the Disney versions, the movies we like. Uh, and so, you know, People can see, you know, that this is about Rumpelstiltskin and the Wicked Stepmother and Rapunzel and think, you know what, maybe I'd like to read more. So I hope I hope it gives them an escape. I hope it gives them something else to look forward to turning the page. Yeah, definitely. I know for me um, growing up, I still have very, very fond memories of like being in the closet with the flashlight, reading a book and just like you could get lost for hours. Um, for whatever reason, Treasure Island sticks out to me. Um, probably because I read that in fourth grade and my teacher was really shocked that I read it in fourth grade. Um, but I that one sticks out to me. Um, the Agatha Christie uh, series, definitely. Um, mm-hmm. But just like you just get absorbed in like these characters and the worlds and the pictures like you can see in your imagination and stuff. It's truly magical. Uh, my first book that I really became attached to because I, I could never find anything I enjoyed reading on my own. Mm-hmm. I liked being read to. I liked reading in school when we did read alouds. But 
on my own, I kept saying, well, I, you know, I can't find anything I'd like. And my teacher was like, well, what do you like to do when you're not in school? Mm -hmm. And I said, well, you know, I dance, I take dance class. I love when my family goes on road trips or adventures and I love funny movies. So she's like, how about a funny book? And she gave me Judy Bloom's Tales of a Fourth Grade Nothing. And oh. that changed everything for me. I wanted to read all the books there were by Judy Bloom, everything about Peter and his younger brother, whose nickname is Fudge. Yes. And once, you know, you know how it goes as a teacher. Reading and writing go hand in hand. The more you read, the better you read. The better you read, the better you write. And, you know, from all that reading came a love of wanting to create my own stories and my own characters. And, so I started writing in fourth grade and never really stopped. And I know this is like a crazy question, but like what age was your first book published? I know you wrote for a magazine, but like that first book, there's something about it. So like, do you remember yes. that experience? What was it I, like? Oh my gosh. Yes, yes, absolutely. I mean, for me, it was. it's funny because when people talk about their publishing experience, I know I have... Um, one of those publishing Cinderella stories for my first book. And it's true. It's kind of like, you know, finding the glass slipper that's left behind on the stairs because my magazine that I worked for, which was a magazine called teen people. I like to say it's uh, people magazine's younger sister. I loved it. My job was to interview young celebrities and many of the young celebrities I got to interview were on their way up. So it was like Justin Timberlake and oh Reese Witherspoon wow. and um, you know, I, the rock and you know just to, you know chris pratt all these people i just loved interviewing and so all my experiences with interviewing them made me wonder what it would be like to be a teen celebrity again this was all before there was like a huge social media boom right. you know uh the the phone that's used in the secrets of my hollywood life books is called a sidekick <laughs> do you remember those they were like kind of like pagers but they were phones right. and so it's all about her typing on her sidekick <laughs> And I can only imagine if I were to update the series now, what it would be like, because, you know, the characters only had to deal with like, you know, gossip magazines and now they have to deal with, you know, every kind of blog and Twitter and stuff oh like gosh. that. Yeah. But in any case, because my magazine was in an office building, a few floors above our magazine, it was Little Brown Books for Young Readers. And I was fortunate enough to get in touch with an editor up there and I asked if I could take her out for coffee and kind of find out how you write a book, which sounds so silly when I think about it, but I really just wasn't sure how you go about writing a book. How do you sell a book? And she said, well, what do you want to write about? And I kind of said, well, I want to write about a young celebrity who's not sure if she likes being in Hollywood or wants to give it up. And she said, that sounds interesting. She's like, if you go write your book and she gave me pointers, mm -hmm. she goes, who knows if I like it, maybe I'll hire you. And that's really how it went. I, I went. I got an editor before I got an agent. Oh, wow. I wound up writing the book like the first six months. I kept rewriting it all these different ways. But I feel so thankful to the editor who kind of saw something that meant the book could be special. Mm -hmm. And just because it wasn't special right off the bat, that it wasn't perfect, she was willing to work on it with me and, and make it shine. And I'm so thankful to that editor for that. Her name was Cindy Egan. And mm -hmm. so I was 30 years old when my first book was published. Wow. So like, there's something like I've been seeing lately um, on social media, like, you know, it's okay to be like older when you're published for the first time. Like you don't have to be like 20 or in your teens or, you know, you can still be successful and still have a career. And I think um, sometimes we lose sight of that. 
Yeah, I don't think there's any magic age or any magic number. You know, I've had a lot of kids reach out to me on email during this time of quarantine. And I had one um, teenage girl that I just loved. She was going to be a senior in high school this coming school year. And she said, I, you know, I want to do like you did. I want to write for like some newspapers or magazines and or blogs. And then I want to write books. And so she was like asking what I majored in. And, you know, I said, honestly, I, ra- I majored in communications because mm-hmm. I had a bit of a PR background and a newspaper background. But uh, I have friends who are are lawyers who write children's books. Mm -hmm. I have friends who are history majors who write children's books. Like there is no magic formula to come out of college and become an author. And you don't even, you know, there's people who don't even go to college and become Mm -hmm. authors. It's just, you have to have that spark of creativity and, um, and just feel really inspired. So, you know, it's, there's no, you know, there's no one way to do it is basically my point. Right. And, you know, speaking to that a little bit, can you talk, I know my kids um, hate revising. That is like one, like you give them something back and say, okay, like even the whole first draft, like we're going to write a first draft. They're just like, ugh. So um, do you have any tips or tricks for kids or teachers how to approach the revision process maybe? Um, so honestly, for me, I like to do a lot of outlining and I hated just like your kids. I hated outlining in school. I couldn't understand why you would have to write about what you hadn't written about yet. Like, why do I have to tell you what I'm going to write when I'm going to go write it anyway? But the truth is when you have a map and I like to call it a roadmap to where you're going to go, it's easier to lay out that story. And so that's really how I do it now. I, I do an outline two different ways. I type it out and really might have like a 12, 15 page outline. Sometimes it's a 30 page outline. I just kind of go through beat by beat what's going to happen in the story. But I also love to outline on post-it notes. So what I'll do is I'll keep a board in my office and I will map out short details about each chapter or each um, story beat and I'll put it on the post-it board and then I kind of look at it kind of like a puzzle that has to be solved because if you've ever done a jigsaw puzzle which is what I tell kids you know that the easiest pieces to find are the ones that have a straight edge because they're the corners you know or the sides that's kind of how I feel about a book that's the beginning and the end of the book usually we know how we want it to start and we might know how we want it to end the middle just like the middle of a puzzle is murky and so that's where that outline comes in really handy just kind of figuring out where you what's missing what I have to move around how I can make sure the story um, goes along in in the way it should that's great great advice I don't think my students would like hearing that at all <laughs> you know Not many will I know I know <laughs> and then can you talk a little bit about like even getting that first draft or even you know having to take out a character having to take out part of the story that you're super attached to what that process is like and do you stick to like the advice or do you kind of go more with your gut like what is like kind of what's your philosophy I mean it definitely depends on the project and you know I won't say I haven't questioned things before you know but what I really love about having an editor when I work on projects is that I have you know, another set of eyes, Mm -hmm. I have another opinion that I can look at uh, to weigh against my own. And so the great thing about, um, the great thing about it is that when you're working on a story, 
you kind of have tunnel vision. You're like, mm-hmm. this is my story. This is how it's going to work. And what I like to say is, imagine I told your students to write a story about a dragon landing on the roof of their home. And on page three, we never heard about that dragon again. We don't know where the dragon went. We don't know if it broke in the home. It just becomes an entirely different story. Well, as the editor, the editor might say, hey, Jen, what happened to the dragon? Is the dragon gone? Is this like an entirely different story? Do we still need the dragon in the beginning if you're not going to use it at the end? Did you forget about the dragon? Because when you're working on a story, sometimes one part of the story takes you one way and you forget Mm -hmm. about the other part. So usually when I get my edit letters from my editors, and I've had two this month, they're never short. They're always, you know, eight, nine, 10, 12 (laughs) pages long. The one I just started reading today is 12 pages long. And, um, It'll be, you know, Jen, this is a great book. We love this book, but here's Mm -hmm. what might not be working. And it could be anything from pacing. Like you might spend too much time in one area of the book and it's stopping the action of the story. So maybe you need to speed things up. Maybe there is a character that you need to sharpen a little bit so we can figure out their personality a bit more. Maybe there's a hole in the story, like that dragon, you know, Mm -hmm. and we need to fill it in and figure out where it really belongs. So I won't say that I get these edit letters and I think, yay, edit letter. <laughs> um, it definitely, it takes <laughs> takes me a little time to warm up and read it and go through it. But once I start reading what my editor suggests I work on and what I might want to fine tune for the next draft, nine times out of 10, I'll look at it and think, oh, they're right. They're right. I forgot this. I forgot that. And it is difficult to get all those things in the right place, especially when you might only have maybe four or five weeks to make those changes. But each time you revise the story, the story gets a little bit tighter. It gets hopefully a little bit stronger. And I find that I enjoy revising now as hard as it is. I enjoy revising way more than I like writing the first draft because getting the story out of my head onto paper is so hard for me. Making the story better is fun. Interesting. I kind of like that perspective. Like, you know, because I know – Sometimes getting all your thoughts even onto paper can be can feel overwhelming, but then like fine tuning them or making them more 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 coherent is kind of fun as well. Yeah, I I enjoy it. I do. I enjoy it. It's scary, but I enjoy it. <laughs> How scary is it to send off a draft of your book and um, kind of in that waiting time frame? Like, are they going to like it? Are they not going to like it? Um, I think the scarier thing for me is not whether like an editor I already have a book contract with is going to like it. The scarier thing for me is when I come up with a new idea and you're sending it out to editors and you think, well, is anybody going to like this idea as much as I am? Is anybody going to want to turn this idea into a book? And so that is always really scary. And I, I've never really, it's kind of like going out for a job and, you know, 12 people are considering hiring you and, <laughs> 11 might think you are just not right for the job. And the 12th person might be like, wait a minute, there's something here I really like. And you're just holding out for that 12th person. (laughs) So um, that is scarier to me than the revisions. The revisions, I always know they're coming. I always know there's going to be work to be done. And it's definitely daunting. But it's also, you know, something I can manage. Once I start digging in and I get started, I think, okay, I want to make this better. I'm going to make it better. I'm going to make it tighter. I'm going to make it stronger. And then it kind of just takes off. And then how scary is it to launch the final product into the world? Well, yeah, that is very scary because, you know, then it becomes reviews and that's a whole nother ball game. And 
I tend not to read a lot of reviews. Um, there's a certain uh, reviewing company that tends to not like anything I write ever. Oh. <laughs> and that's always really sad and it's, and it's hard to swallow. And, you know, I always joke with some of my friends. I'm like, well, if, if I put on the internet how, you know, I felt about how you did your job, it, you know, it'd be a tough pill to swallow. So it's hard sometimes to read those reviews. So I kind of steer clear because I kind of look at it like you and I could read the same book and have very different opinions on it at the end. You mm -hmm. could love it. I could hate it. But I'm never going to go on Goodreads and then bash the book. I'm just going to assume, you know what, this maybe wasn't my cup of tea, but mm -hmm. I'm glad I read it and I can talk about it with other people. Um, I think it, you know, it has to do back with what, how I was when I was trying to find my first book that I enjoyed, like, what are your hobbies? What are your likes? What are your dislikes? And different stories are going to appeal to different, different people. So I don't really read the reviews now. I, I do crack up. I remember when I went on Amazon the day Concealed Don't Feel came out and I saw it had a one star review and it was the first review. And I was like, Oh my gosh, they hated it. They read it already. And I scrolled down to the review and it was like book came damaged. And I thought, Oh my gosh, why is this the review <laughs> on my page? It's going to take all the reviews. But, um, you know, that just goes to show like you really, you just can't predict it. So I try to just avoid it. And I know some people are going to like what I write and other people might be really happy finding a different author and that's okay. I really like I do appreciate that like kind of perspective of it because I know with social media um, as hot as it is right now taking those opinions in can be very overwhelming um, time consuming emotion consuming so that's kind of good advice for me also to come back and share with my students as well like you know you've got to put things in perspective um, yeah. so I do appreciate yeah. that thank yeah. you. Hey. Yeah. So don't take it personally. I guess that's my biggest, you know, my biggest takeaway is don't take it personally. You know, not everybody is going to love the same thing and that's okay. And, um, you know, you don't have to, you know, the worst thing you can do to yourself. And I remember I did do it after one book. I remember, you know, this review reviewing place that never likes my books had said something about my books. And I was like, the next time I was writing a book, an editor asked me to do something that this other reviewer had hated. And I was like, I don't do that anymore. And she's like, wow, you're doing really well. And I was like, oh, okay, okay. You know, and just because one reviewer didn't like something doesn't mean I have to change my whole approach to how I tell a story. So it was a good lesson. <laughs> Love it. And I know I'm, we're almost at our 30 minute mark, which is like kind of sad for me because I'm having so much fun. But um, <laughs> Some, one of the writing prompts that I saw on social media that I absolutely love was the fairy tale mashup. Can you talk about a few more of the ones that you've thrown out there for everybody to use? It's so much fun to do, and it's so easy to do, and especially now when you're home and if you have a friend that you want to try writing with or a classmate you want to try writing with, throwing out two different fairy tale characters from two very different fairy tales and then giving them an object from a third fairy tale is so much fun to figure out the story. So, for example, if you took Cinderella and then you took Rapunzel and they both came across a magic beanstalk, how would the story play out? 
if you came across um, Sleeping Beauty and a bowl of porridge and Rumpelstiltskin, how would the story play out? And so it's like so much fun to imagine these new mashups of all these characters coming together. And it's a little bit like what I do in Fairy Tale Reform School because there are all these characters in the same place, but it's not just two characters. And I think that's part of the fun of this, figuring out how you're gonna take these two characters and this magical object like the magic lamp and figure out how it all comes together. Love it. And what are some of the, I haven't been on Facebook um, lately, but what are some of the other ones you've thrown out there um, for educators as well? Um, well, there is, I mean, I have on YouTube, I have like, I did a fairy tale YouTube video where I actually, mm -hmm. normally when I go on school visits, I have a box and mm -hmm. I've cut up all the different fairy tale character names. And then I started pulling from the box on YouTube, just yes. throwing out fairy tale characters and saying, okay, how would you, retell their story if you could retell it how would you continue their story what would you do with the prince from snow white what would you do if you were doing a disney version what would you do with jafar what would you do with alice from wonderland and um now some kids i remember i had one kid get really upset and she's like i don't want to change alice in wonderland it's perfect i love it the way it is and you know what that's fine but what if you could write a sequel to alice in wonderland would alice go back to Wonderland, what would happen next? And mm -hmm. that's kind of the fun that we have with the Twisted Tale books for Disney is mm -hmm. twisting the story a little bit. Maybe you're retelling the story people already know, but in a new way, mm -hmm. which is kind of what I did with Frozen. Or maybe you're continuing the story, which is um, something you know other Twisted Tale authors have done as well, like with the new Peter Pan book. Uh, straight on till morning that Liz Braswell wrote it was it was kind of an entirely different Peter Pan story where Wendy first traveled to um, Neverland with Captain Hook and so it's kind of fun you know just taking different characters and figuring out you know what is their story what do they most want how can I make sure I don't let them have it right away is there any fairy tale villains or other characters I can throw in to make life harder for them so you're always trying to make life harder for your characters of course <laughs> Because when what would life be without challenges, right? That's right. That's right. <laughs> so um, I know that you're like super approachable on social media, on Twitter. And um, where can my listeners find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at, at Jen Kalanita. On Facebook, it's at Jen Kalanita Books. And on Instagram, it's at Jen Kalanita. Or you can also always email me through my website, jenkalaniteonline.com. Awesome. Thank you so much. And thank you so much for being here and kind of sharing your journey and the fun um, fairy tale experience that you've got to have. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. So this latte is a little out of the ordinary, goes perfect with talking about fairy tales in the fairy tale reform school. So I'm going to share with you a brain fuel latte recipe. So this one includes one cup milk, either almond or regular, depending on your preference, one half teaspoon ashawanda powder, one sachet of lion's mane, one and a half teaspoons of maca, one teaspoon coconut oil, one sachet of collagen, one half teaspoon of vanilla extract, and you can add raw honey or a pinch of cinnamon to taste. So you're gonna heat your milk in a small pot on the stove over medium heat. Once it's heated through, add to your blender and add all the other ingredients. Blend well. 
You're going to serve with any additional toppings that you like. Enjoy.